Welcome to Because of the Beatles, the podcast about the Beatles, everything about the Beatles 24-8. I'm Erica. And I'm Allison. And before we start, be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts or stream us on Spotify. And if you're enjoying BC the Beatles, feel free to leave us a preferably five-star review so other Beatle maniacs can find us. Also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll be posting videos, photos, and more from this episode and beyond. You can also email us at bcthebeatles at gmail.com. Well, it's been a busy two weeks in the Beatles world. Oh my gosh, so much to talk about before we even get into the very cool topic that we're going to chat about later. Yes, yes. Let's first talk about the one thing I think that's on everybody's mind is that Ringo was diagnosed with COVID last week. Yes. And he canceled a bunch of his shows through October 9th. He had said on his website and social media that further updates would be through his website as of the day of recording, which is October 7th. I haven't seen anything yet, so hoping Mm -hmm. Ringo is doing well and that shows beyond October 9th are not canceled, but whatever he does, let's hope it's the best for his health. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad that he got home from Michigan, which is where he canceled the show. I I think he only canceled it a few hours before he was set to go on stage, right? Yeah, yeah. First, he said that it was not COVID and it was but it was affecting his voice. And most likely he was getting negative tests and then he got a positive test. And then we've all been there. (laughs) Yep, it was announced it was COVID. And I saw somebody on Twitter, I can't remember who said they were at the show the previous night and that Ringo was in good spirits, but the show was a lot shorter. So he was Mm. probably feeling the effect of it before the day they canceled, but was trying to stretch it out and see if he could do it. Yeah, that makes sense. He, I mean, he's obviously a consummate performer. I think he finds a lot of joy, obviously, in being among people, but also on stage. So it makes sense he'd probably try to push through, but it's good that he canceled as much of a bummer as it is for I saw a lot of people who were going to go to those shows be really sad about it. But obviously, Ringo, we just want you to get better and sending you all the peace and love. Yes. Get well soon, Ringo. We'll have any other updates as they come, but hopefully there will be no other updates other than the show goes on and everybody's good. Yeah, absolutely. Tangentially Beatles related, you went to a really fun event last week. Yeah, I did. And actually, there's a lot of Beatles tie-ins with this, which we can we should definitely do an episode about at some point. But um, I went to the star dedication on the Hollywood Walk of Fame for Cass Elliot, yes. um, who you guys probably know as one of the powerhouse singers uh, of the Mamas and the Papas, plus her solo stuff, plus TV. Sadly, she passed away pretty young, but had she lived, she probably would have been on Broadway and you know more TV and movies and all kinds of stuff. So she finally got a star. I was surprised. A lot of people were surprised she didn't have one already. Yeah, to quote Stella McCartney about fucking time. <laughs> I posted that. Somebody like commented on my Facebook post about this, and they were like, I can't believe she didn't have one. I'm like, I posted a picture of Stella's uh, tank top. Amazing. I was like, I should have made this and worn it to the <laughs> thing. It was a real star-studded extravaganza, Erica. We had Stephen Stills there who spoke before the unveiling of the star, along with, of course, Michelle Phillips, who looked beautiful. She As always. Yeah, I know. She's timeless, honestly. And uh, Cass's family were there, her daughter Owen, her sister Leah, and her grandchildren, which was very cool to see. And of course, my number one guy, I don't know if I've talked about this gentleman much on the podcast, but as much as I love the Beatles, and I do, obviously, they're my number one group, but John Sebastian is my number one solo artist of all time. So, And he was there giving um, also dedication to Cass before they 
unveiled the star. If you guys can hear a little water feature in the background, by the way, that is Epi, my cat, drinking water. Anyway. Hi, Epi. <laughs> Hi, Epi. He's making a little guest appearance. Um, but yeah, so yeah, it was great. It was really just a lot of like love in the space for sure. When John was giving his speech, he got a little choked up talking about Cass because Cass was really, really instrumental, no pun intended, in not only the assemblage of groups like CSNY, which she's famous for having put together, just sort of recommending them all to each other, but also the Love and Spoonful, which John Sebastian was the lead singer and songwriter for. She introduced him to Zal Yanofsky, who was the guitar player, and John and Zal were thick as thieves through that, out that whole run. So I got a little choked up talking about Zal, and it's incredible to see somebody who was obviously such an amazing person where people still get choked up talking about how much they miss her like gosh almost 50 years later almost after 50 her death. years yeah yeah so yeah it was amazing and you know some beatles tie-ins obviously like you know the mamas and the papas recorded some beatles songs that call your name they covered that i think i think cass elliott hooked up with john lennon but that's just my suspicion what and Yes, perhaps we should save that for a real episode, but... Oh my god, I didn't know that. Yeah, so there's a too-long-didn't-read version of this, which is... This might be the whole story. We might not have to do a whole episode on it, but um, Denny Doherty told this story, and Denny was one of the members of the Moms and the Papas, um, where I think he and Cass were maybe... I don't know, she was... One of them was crashing over in the the other's house, and John, the Beatles were in town, so John Lennon was over with Denny, and so Denny rushes upstairs because Cass is asleep and he's like, Cass, wake up, you know, and the famous line is put on your prettiest moo moo, <laughs> which is horrible. I have a lot of complicated feelings about Denny, but we won't get into that. So he wakes Cass up, Cass comes down and hits it off with John like immediately, like they're having a great time. And she was notoriously just super funny, super fun to hang out with. Like, you know, she always had like the best drugs and the best food and like just the best drinks, like everything. Um, and she was such a hostess. So she and John are like partying it up. And Denny's like, okay, well, I'm going to go. Uh, you guys have fun. And then uh, I'm pretty sure they hooked up. Just some like things that Denny has said, like on the sly, or Denny did say, where, yeah, I think they did. I mean, nice. Good for both of them. Dude, awesome. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I could not write that fanfic any better, <laughs> quite honestly. I think we need to take this and the Dirty Weekend and whatever else and do like a Beatles salacious stories episode. Ooh, maybe we should do that for like a Patreon that thing would be if we fun, ever get right? that off the ground. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, let us know if you want us to do something like that for our Patreon. And then maybe one day we'll start a Patreon. <laughs> and then maybe one day we'll actually do it. We keep talking about it. So yeah, I mean, but the Moms of the Papas were such huge fans of the Beatles, obviously, as most people were. One final tie-in. Cass's daughter, Owen, was reading statements from people who couldn't be there. And she read one from Paul. Oh. And Paul said he met Cass in London and he remembered her just, yeah, being like kind of like a queen holding court and so much fun to hang out with. And, you know, just that he was very pleased she was finally getting her star. So it was so nice. I oh, love that. That's so yeah. sweet. I know. So well-deserved. I love her voice. It's one of the best voices in recorded history, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, absolutely. There's nobody who's ever had a voice like that, for sure. And fun fact, she went to New York originally to start a Broadway career, and she 
almost got the part of Miss Marmelstein in the show. I can get it for you wholesale, but it went to Barbara Streisand instead. Oh my God. I didn't know that. That's so, quite a, yeah. wow. <laughs> yeah. She would have been right up there giving Barbara a run for her money, I think. Yeah, exactly. She was destined for her voice to be totally famous and immortalized. Totally. So yeah, that was, that was really special. So I'm glad I got to be there. Yeah. That's so exciting. And trekking right along because again, we've got so much, uh, so much going on. My God. I don't know if y'all got to see the new cavern pics that surfaced this week, but is it bad that my first thought was, oh my God, they're so skinny. (laughs) No, that was, that was almost everybody's first thought. And then your second thought is, oh yeah, prellies. Drugs. Oh yeah, and means all night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was definitely their pearly period, and then of yeah. course you see them shift a little when they get into weed. Right, exactly. <laughs> now I can see. You know, I was always pissed that John would talk about this bad Elvis period in like '65, but I'm like, damn. I guess if you're comparing yourself to that, you know, they all look very malnourished. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So just just in case anybody didn't know what we're talking about, two new pictures of the Beatles were unearthed last week, performing at the Cavern right after their first appearance in Hamburg. I believe so. Yeah. So just when they had come back and they were starting to do gigs again, and they were being billed as live from Hamburg, and some people who didn't know them thought they were actually from Germany. But yes, they are really like lollipops and a toothpick skinny. And 100%. most likely yeah. that is because they just came back from all night drug fueled performances. And it's funny because in the pictures, like their bottom halves are all wearing their leather trousers and the top they're wearing these like polo-y like sports. I don't even know, like long sleeve sort of like Henley kind yeah, of It's top. like the shirt Dexter would kill in. Oh my God. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I don't know why they're wearing that. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a weird combo. Like, yeah. thank God, Brian, this is probably what Brian saw and he's like, oh, no, we're not going to do this. This is ridiculous. According to Mark Lewison, they were taken an evening show in July 1961. There is one picture where Paul is just probably mid like long, tall Sally or something. And he is just wailing and his hair is flying all over the place. It's great. They're both great. But that's oh, so just good. a Paul action pick. It's amazing. Yes. And I feel like we say this every episode about something, but like this just proves there's more out there. So our friends in the UK, check your grandparents' attics. (laughs) Come on. There's more to be found. It's already so amazing that we have so much recorded footage of the Beatles, of these teenagers in 1960, 1961, like before, you know, it was normal to record everything and more just keeps coming out. It's crazy. Yeah, and it's so great. I just I want it all in our lifetime. Let's let's unearth it all. Like I don't want anybody hundred years to find this stuff. Like let's do it now, (laughs) please. Speaking of anniversaries and the early sixties, this week was also a really big day. It was the sixtieth anniversary of the recording of "Love Me Do" on October fifth. Now we're really starting the cycle of sixtieth anniversaries of things. I'm ready for it. Because, you know, I mean, we talked about this a little bit in our Revolver preview, but going through these reissues with Abbey Road and Let It Be and White, the White Album, it's all fun and games. But like, I don't know, I have a soft spot for the early stuff. So I'm very, very glad that we're going to start celebrating these 60th anniversaries. And the more early stuff like these pictures and anything that was recorded on some home tape recorder or whatever, like any of that stuff, I want that. The beginning, yes. beginning of the Beatles. 
They're so pure. They're too good, too pure for the world. I know, I know. So for the 60th anniversary, I thought this was really cool. The National Trust, they chose two recording artists to record the song Love Me Do in Paul's childhood home on 4th and Road in honor of the anniversary. The two bands that were chosen, there was an, an indie band called Traits and a jazz singer named Nee Maxine. And they were chosen by a committee that included Paul's brother, Mike McCartney. And you can see some of these recordings at a video that the National Trust put out on their YouTube page, which we can link to. It was really cool to see people in Paul McCartney's house recording Love Me Do in totally new styles. Oh, I love that. That's so cool. I'm a sucker for anytime anybody plays something at Portland Road. Like even when James Corden's on the piano during um, Carpool Karaoke, I was here for it. Yeah. And of course, Paul and the toilet drum. Yes. Never forget. I had... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I had a flashback to that today, Erica, weirdly, because I was reading something and the word bog was in it. And I'm like, the only ever other time I fucking heard that word <laughs> was when Paul did the like, I'm in a bog, like <laughs> yeah. toilet drum solo thing. <laughs> oh, oh, God, I love, I love that. Thanks. I, I know it. that is like the best like 20 minutes you can spend on YouTube is watching that. <laughs> oh, so lovely. And finally, in little bits of news, it's not a little bit, but as of our recording on October 7th, it's Johnny's birthday in two days. Uh, in two days, yeah. First of all, how the hell is it already October? But yay! I don't know. I don't know. But I love it. I love being in New York for that. I love being near Strawberry Fields for that. There's always all kinds of celebrations and people just singing Beatles songs there all day long. So it's a nice day. Uh, are you going to go to Strawberry Field? Maybe. It'll be a nice Sunday to go out and and see it. If I do, I'll take some videos. Yeah, and we'll post those, obviously, on our socials. And um, we can all kind of be there vicariously. So the Love Me Do 60th anniversary dovetails really well into what we're going to talk about today, which is part two of talking about the Beatles' earliest tours. In part one, if you remember, and if you don't, go back and listen, we went through the Beatles' first professional tour backing singer Johnny Gentle in May of 1960. So today, part two covers one of the last tours they did as relatively unknown artists, though more known at this point. But this was in February 1963, right on the cusp of worldwide Beatlemania, and actually literally as Beatlemania began in the UK. They were one of six artists supporting the teenage singing sensation Helen Shapiro. Just a little background on our boys. Uh, Lots happened with the Beatles since we left them in part one in 1960. So just in a very brief nutshell, three months after the Johnny Gentle tour ended, the Beatles got their first Hamburg gig. And as a condition of that booking, got their first long-term drummer in Pete Best. By early 1961, they were playing gigs at the Cavern, then returned to Hamburg later on in the year. While they were there, they sang backup for the singer Tony Sheridan on his My Bonnie single. And of course, it is that single that brings the Beatles to Brian's attention in late October 1961, where on November 9th, after either hearing it himself or having somebody bring it to his attention, we don't know exactly what happened there. Yes, it's up for debate. (laughs) It is up for debate. It is up for debate. But it did happen at the end of October. And so on November 9th, Brian visits the cavern to see the Beatles live for the first time. 
and obviously immediately falls in love and starts working on their behalf. And from that moment, things just explode. Within the next two months, Brian secures in their first record label audition with DECA, which they did on the 1st of January, 1962. We've got a great episode about that. Link it in the show notes. The audition wasn't successful, but five months later, in May of that year, they then auditioned for George Martin at Parlophone. One month after that, they record the songs Besame Mucho, Love Me Do, P.S. I Love You, and Ask Me Why with George Martin. Two months later, in August, Pete Best is sacked in favor of Ringo in time for the second recording session with George Martin, which is in September of 62. So all this is happening in like a year, saying. Time moves quicker then, I swear to God. <sighs> yeah. And that recording session, they record Love Me Do and a demo of the song How Do You Do It, which they did not write and did not want to record, but um, did it anyway. So it's released later on the anthology, but never released as a single. Well, it wasn't released as a single by them, but as we all know and love, the song by Jerry and the Pacemakers, who had a massive hit with it. So it was all for the best, really. Yeah, it definitely worked out better that they gave it to Jerry and the Pacemakers. So the recording of Love Me Do is published as the A-side for the original UK single with P.S. I Love You backing it. That is released on October 5th, 1962, so 60 years ago last week. It makes some progress on the charts, but no indication at all that Beatlemania is coming, even though it's really coming in a matter of months. But in the meantime, the Beatles continue working. They do live performances at the Cavern. They slowly start adding more radio, even a few TV appearances to their schedule. Here We Go was one radio show they did, uh, Radio Luxembourg's The Friday Spectacular. And in one of these amazing footage miracles that we were talking about before, they were filmed singing the song Some Other Guy and the Cavern for Granada TV's show People and Places. So good. Which is incredible that we have yeah. that footage of a relatively unknown group with a one single that was very low on the charts at the time. But at the same time, they were also uh, making industry connections. People like one of their idols, Little Richard, who they met in Hamburg, was starting to get really, really famous. And so they were backing him live. Finally, they do one final stint in Hamburg to round out the year of 1962. While back at home, Parlophone is getting ready to release the Beatles' second single, which is Please Please Me, back with Ask Me Why. This is where they are in early 1963 when they're contracted by the Arthur House Agency to be part of a bill supporting this teen sensation Helen Shapiro on a month-long tour of the UK. This tour also came to them thanks to Brian. Because when Brian started working with the Beatles, he went nuts. Like he contacted every possible industry contact he had to find people to promote the band. And Arthur Howes, as a promoter, was huge. He promoted Cliff Richard on tour. That's as big as you could have gotten in the late 50s, early 60s, as far as touring went. Talk about a British Elvis, you know. We yeah, seriously. Richard, and we talked a little bit about him um, in the Johnny Gentle episode as well. But Brian obviously had a huge bee in his bonnet about the Beatles to have the gumption to go to somebody like Arthur House, who's like one of the world's biggest promoters and be like, guess what? I've got this baby band and they're going to be bigger than all this. They're going to be bigger than Cliff Richard. Yeah. And Brian was like, I've never managed anybody before, whatever. <laughs> yeah. He's like, yeah, yeah. I don't, you don't need to know. This is my first time doing this. Uh, just, you just need to hear this band. <laughs> yeah. So Arthur House was asked about it. This was in Hunter Davies book. So this was pretty close to the time. 
Howe said, someone saying he was called Brian Epstein was ringing from Liverpool. He said he had a great group. Was there anything I could fit them into? He told me their names, Beatles, and I laughed. Oh, God, here we go again, I thought, another group with a funny name. I said there was a show in Peterborough they could join. They did the trial show. Wasn't a great success for the Beatles. Arthur Howes noticed that the audience, quote unquote, sat on their hands during the Beatles set. (laughs) But, you know, he had a a feeling about him. He tried him at another show. Again, not great. But even so, he liked them enough to put them under contract. He said, I still like them as people. And I saw Brian as a great businessman. I was very impressed by him. So it might have just been Uh because he liked Brian more than he liked the band. But he had faith in something about this outfit that he saw promise. But it is kind of funny to me that so often people say that these early shows sucked. <laughs> you know, yeah, a you lot of a lot. these shows are like, yeah, they sucked, but we liked them anyway, or we gave them another chance. Yeah, I think a lot of this, like you just said it, Erica, is down to Brian, because, you know, there's a lot of debate, would the Beatles make it without Brian? And the Beatles themselves have said, we were on the verge of breaking up, you know, before Brian discovered us and plucked us out of the cavern. But I think a lot of this, yeah, the shows kind of sucked. Like they were, they were like basically a bar band, you know, and Mm -hmm. pretty unrefined. And I think the thing that really sold them was Brian's enthusiasm and probably, you know, he cultivated like a posh sense of himself and probably presented himself as a very like well-to-do entrepreneur and that impressed the fellow businessmen in the industry. I can imagine that most of these groups didn't have anybody like him around them. Yeah, that's very true. A lot of them were kind of rough. Like you hear stories of like Johnny Hutch and the big three, like they got into a lot of fights, you know, like they were (laughs) scruffy and the Beatles were one of these bands until they met Brian, who was like, nope, I know theater, I know showmanship, I know performance. And I know that if I mix these two things, you guys are going to be great. So then these empresarios see this kind of cleaned up version of the Beatles, plus this really posh on point businessman representing them. And they have faith because in a way, Brian is that connection. Brian is of the Beatles era and time and location. But at the same time, he's also in this more grown up professional business realm. He can bridge that gap. He commanded respect, you know, for himself and for them. I mean, he made them stop spitting on stage. So that was an improvement. Thanks, Brian. That's disgusting. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, if if nothing else, there was that. (laughs) (laughs) So Arthur House kept him in his back pocket for about a year. By early 1963, the Beatles had a single out. Another one was coming. So... House decided he was going to ask them to fill in one of the spots in the opening bill on the Helen Shapiro tour. This was the most professional gig that the Beatles had ever been asked to do. They were still playing a lot of gigs, but they were at like dance halls or the cavern or local teenage groups. Here, they were playing to two and 3,000 seat houses for the first time. So it really was a big jump up for them. And speaking of Helen Shapiro, who was she? Helen Hmm. Shapiro is so super cool. She was this teenage singing sensation in the early 1960s. At this point, one of the UK's most successful female performers. And she was distinctive because she had this crazy deep voice. Even as like before she was a teenager, her nickname at school was Foghorn. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, But the girl could sing and she was just one of those people. She opened her mouth and she sounded 20 years older than her age. 
So she started taking lessons at the Maurice Berman School of Modern Pop Singing, which could there be a more like late wow. 50s name of a school for singing ever? That's um, so niche. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. And the, uh, the head of the school, Maurice Berman, of course, was so enamored with her, he contacted some people he knew at EMI to come and listen to her. EMI A&R assistant John Schroeder, the one who came to listen, was so impressed. And he said of her performance, the door opened and she confidently walked in, gave the sheet music to the pianist and launched into the birth of the blues. I say launched because the performance was truly amazing. There was a touch of jazz and soul about her phrasing as though she had been singing for years. She sounded so professional and she was blessed with a voice that was totally incomparable, so deep and rich in tone and so full of emotion. The most astounding thing of all was that she was only 13 and a half years old. Oh my God, a baby. She was so young. And so she was quickly signed to the Columbia label alongside huge UK artists like Cliff Richard and Shirley Bassey. So, you know, great start for her, 13 and a half. Um, Side note, the label wanted her to change her name to something less Jewish sounding, but she and her family said, no, fuck off. So she stayed with her name, Helen Shapiro. Unlike Mr. Johnny Gentle, who had like 17 (laughs) name changes in two years. (laughs) One of my favorite things about that episode is all the freaking aliases everybody had. That's crazy. And this girl's like, nope, I don't care. So smart at 13 years old. She's like, no, I, I got the one. I'm good here. I'm good with this one. She still has that name to this day. She sure does. (laughs) (laughs) She signed to Columbia, but the one problem was that they couldn't find a good song for her that suited both her super deep jazzy vocal quality and also her age, which was 13 and a half. Yeah. They searched for six months trying to find the right song. And eventually, John Schroeder, the A&R assistant, um, enlisted the help of a journalist friend, Mike Hawker, and they wrote a song themselves for her. So this first single was called Don't Treat Me Like a Child, was released in February 1961, and it eventually reached number three on the UK singles charts after she mimed it on Thank Your Lucky Stars. And let's hear a little bit of Helen Shapiro. Well, just because I'm in my teens and I still go to school, don't think that I dream childish dreams, I'm nobody's Yeah, so that voice is outstanding and one of a kind and sounds like she is 20 years older, maybe more than she actually was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we talked about uh, at the top of the show about Cass and her voice. Like, I would say that is an incredibly distinctive voice. You hear Helen Shapiro and you know exactly who it is. And I can see how the A&R guys were like, what do we do with this girl? Right. Because you mentioned, you know, Shirley Bassey, and I could absolutely hear Helen Shapiro singing Goldfinger, uh, but a 13-year-old singing Goldfinger? Nope. I don't know about that. (laughs) Yeah, and you can't have her do, like, jazz standards. Like, if you think about stuff like Billie Holiday sings, a lot of it is, like, is about lost love and very adult topics, too. It's it's difficult to find it. Yeah. But this song that they wrote for her hit a chord. 
It sold 300,000 copies in the UK, 750,000 worldwide, followed quickly by a second single called You Don't Know, which quickly went to number one on the charts for three weeks, sold over a million copies. She's doing really well in a really short time. She had a few more hit singles, and then she made appearances in the musical films Play It Cool and It's Trad, Dad. The latter was Richard Lester's directorial debut. It actually looks like a really cute movie. I've seen it. I've seen it. Yeah, it's good. Uh, you can catch it every once in a while on AMC. They'll play like a marathon of those like teen, you know, like teeny bopper films, quote unquote. Aww. And they're all super fun and they have fun guest stars. So it's worth looking out for. Her next single was about Little Miss Lonely, reached number eight in late 1962. And by the end of that year, she was voted Britain's top female singer. So this is where we find Helen. She embarks on her first UK tour which she had to wait to do until she turned 16 in December of 1961 because of restrictions on child labor laws. So once again, very, very young. (laughs) So this tour was in two parts. It was over the course of a month, but actually very short. The first part was February 2nd to 10th. The Beatles did miss the 10th. Um, And then the second part after a brief break was February 23rd to March 3rd. The Beatles actually did not make that February 10th performance because in between those two blocks, the Beatles recorded the rest of the songs that would make up the Please Please Me album on February 11th. And then they played a bunch of other dates themselves before rejoining the others on the tour. So they were busy. One thing that I remember about the Please Please Me recording sessions was that by the end of it, Twist and Shout sounds like it does because John was getting sick. Right. I mean, they were running themselves crazy. And I wonder what John sounded like the following week after this when they were playing those other dates because he was already like ripping his voice to shreds. I don't know how they maintained the schedule, but they <sighs> no idea. They did. Crazy. So on the first leg of this tour from February 2nd to 10th, the Beatles were very much one of the supporting acts, not that well known, getting exposure, backing the popular singer. Ringo recalled this time and he said Helen was the star. She had the telly in her dressing room and we didn't have one. We had to ask her if we could watch hers. We weren't getting packed houses, but we were on the boards, man. That was Ringo's (laughs) recollection. The Beatles were friendly with Helen Shapiro and she even had a crush on John. She was 16. That's cute. You can see the playfulness in their relationship in a clip from the show Ready, Steady, Go, which they actually record later that year where Helen mimes her song, Look Who It Is, acting each verse out in turn with John, Ringo, and George. Paul actually wasn't there, (laughs) but the three of them were. As Helen sings to them, they turn around and they interact with her during the verse. John makes some of his classic faces, which are not very nice, uh, but, you know. <laughs> They're a little problematic. They would, get, they would get his ass canceled today. Yeah, ex- exactly. And when he's not making those faces, he's trying to make her break. You can see he's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, sniffing and like moving his nose around. That's adorable. Ringo turns around and he's just happy to be there and he's like smiling and he's just cute as fuck. And then George has a moment where he puts his hand out to her she bats it away, and then he mimes smacking her in the face during the middle of the verse. <laughs> and she has a line when she's singing to George. It's like, you and all your charms. And she rolls her eyes and she says charms, and he laughs. And he sort of gets on his knee and begs for forgiveness. <laughs> it's so weird. 
I swear to God, we were talking about this a little earlier, Erica, but I've, you know, seen this clip for, God, I don't know, 10, 15 years. But every time I laugh at this clip, especially George, it's so funny. It's great. I could watch this over and over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> she, she sounds amazing. The three Beatles are fantastic in their roles. And, you know, there's even a little like weird domestic abuse played out. It's so strange. <laughs> this video has everything. I can't look away. I can't look away. <laughs> it's so good. And well, while she was recording that with the Beatles, uh, with the three Beatles, Paul was in the in, like a, another studio, right? He was judging a, a con- dance contest. Yeah, he was judging a dance contest in the studio next door. There were three or there were four girls who were lip syncing to the song Let's Jump the Broomstick. And in a weird foreshadowing, the winner of the contest was a girl named Melanie Coe, who four years later ran away from home. And the newspaper article about her running away was what inspired Paul to write She's Leaving Home. So that is crazy. Weird. I never knew that before this moment. And I my mind is blown. I never put that together. It's nuts. I'm sure he knew who she was. And she I'm sure he remembered. And if he hadn't judged that contest, maybe he wouldn't have been so touched by the story and actually wrote a song about it. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. It's just so weird that they crossed paths so early in the Beatles career. And so publicly, so that's so yeah. wild that we can witness it. You can have the clips on YouTube. You can go look it up. But, you know, at the end, he sort of gives her whatever the prize was, a record or something. And and it's weird to, like, see them interact and be like, okay, well, guess what? He's going to write a song about you in just yeah. a couple of years. Yeah, you're going to have some family trouble. Sorry. And, <laughs> you're going uh... to go through some <laughs> shit, Melanie. <laughs> but it's okay because Paul's going to write a song about you. So all good. Yeah, and you've got this moment on TV forever, so look yeah. back on it and be happy. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> also, in one of these classic I'm kicking myself moments, John and Paul actually wrote the song Misery on this tour, inspired by her for her voice, but her label didn't want her to record it. Oh, that would be so good. Oh, that is a cover we all deserve. It is. And she didn't even know. She didn't know that it was offered and that it was refused until after it was a done deal. Oh, so it no. wasn't like it wasn't her choice. It was the A&R dude's choice, which really sucks. What the hell, dude? That sucked. I know. So for the Beatles, they had a very short set list for this show. I mean, if there's six opening bands, I guess everybody only gets a few songs. And it was kind of a weird one. They sang Chains with George on lead. Keep Your Hands Off My Baby with John on lead. A Taste of Honey with Paul. And Please Please Me, and Love Me Do, and Beautiful Dreamer were the alternate songs. <laughs> well, wait, so Love Me Do was just an alternate, and that was their, like, lead-off single of their career. I guess Please Please Me was their newer one, so they were more inclined to do it. It's faster, maybe, and more concert-ready. But, like, Beautiful Dreamer? What the what the fuck? <laughs> That's so random. It must have been a swap out for a taste of honey, like a Paul uh, ballady, old timey song where he can like look up at the balcony and look all doe eyed and do that thing he does. I could see that. And I do, I do recall sort of like some bands in the Beatles periphery doing Beautiful Dream or like a sped up sort of rock and roll version of it. But it's just such a, it's always been such a bizarre choice to me. This whole set list is weird, other than their originals, which I'm sure the yeah. audience thought were weird because they probably had not heard them at this point, at least the True. first leg of the tour. I mean, the best song of this, this set 
or the first two chains and keep your hand off my baby, I think, as far yeah. as what people would know sitting in that concert. The first leg of this tour was relatively calm. John later recalled that we never knew where we were. It was all the same. So uh, <laughs> the only small scandal came after the February 8th show in Carlisle as they got kicked out of the post-show dinner for being too scruffy. Um, wow. <laughs> Yeah. And that and the timing is so weird because February 8th, think about where they would be just one year later on that date. Oh my God. Yeah. A year from February 8th, that would be the night before the Sullivan show. Right. Wow. So Beatles time is very, very fast. Yeah. <laughs> Too crazy. <laughs> so uh, Helen Shapiro recalled this. She said we were in the lobby area. The Beatles were having a drink and I was having a cup of tea. She was 16. Okay, um, she's this- a baby. <laughs> Yeah. This fellow was going into the banqueting suite when he saw us. He was really chuffed and asked us to go in. We weren't interested. They were all dressed up and it wasn't our kind of thing. We were just having a quiet drink, but he was really insistent. They had a buffet in there and that probably swung it. We never seemed to get much to eat on tour. God. Um, We went to the buffet table and had something to eat. Ringo was particularly enjoying the food. Then we went on the dance floor. We may have still been eating. (laughs) <laughs> I think I was twisting with Ringo. There were ladies with their long gown. Yeah, I know. Ringo's had so much fun on these doors. Oh my God. I know. There were these ladies with their long gowns who made a beeline for the Beatles in their leather gear. Then suddenly this guy came over, a much older man, and he was huffing and puffing, getting red in the face. He ordered us to leave. Who invited you, he asked. It was a shame, really, because nobody seemed to have a problem with us apart from one bloke. Helen was mortified when a national newspaper picked up the story. She continued, the Daily Express headline was something like, Helen Shapiro asked to leave golf club dance. It referred to Helen Shapiro and the instrumental group, the four Beatles, being asked to leave. I was mortified. I thought that would be the end of me. I was only 16, and that sort of thing was not something to be proud of then. I never found out for certain who tipped off the press. So a little bit of an embarrassing moment, but also sounds like it was a lot of fun with the food and the dancing and especially Ringo. Yes. Well, um, here's my question. They were wearing leather, it says, or she says, Mm -hmm. you know, to this thing. So by this time, they were out of their leather suits. They were into like the college jackets and that kind of thing. So they're wearing their leather on their off hours. That's interesting. They must have. They must have had their leather jackets and it was cold. It was February. Maybe that's just like what they wore in the winter. Yeah. See, I'm picturing the leather pants, but, you know, it could just be the jackets. Maybe that was, uh, that would be more, I think, uh, multifunctional of a garment than leather pants. I like the idea that they just decided to slip into their leather pants for an evening engagement. (laughs) I just, that was such a funny visual to me with that story. Now, were they wearing their white cotton Henley Dexter kill room shirts too, like they were in those unearthed pictures? That nice combo. I know. That's the real <laughs> question. How much did they fight Brian on that ensemble? <laughs> <laughs> like seeing those pictures, I could totally, I, I mean, obviously, like we all were like, Brian, yeah, you did the right thing, giving them those iconic suits, et cetera. But that was a real choice to wear that combination of the leather pants and the Henleys. Come on. <laughs> And it wasn't an accident because they were both wearing wearing it. They're all fucking wearing them. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Like, come on. It's like they all went to fucking, like, American Eagle and bought their Henleys. (laughs) Like, (laughs) they're like, yeah, lads, you know, go great with these Henleys. Our leather trousers. (laughs) (laughs) 
my gosh. Thank you, Brian, for saying no. I always think, side note, a side story, I always think about a story that Billy J. Kramer told me uh, when I interviewed him years ago about Brian commenting on Billy's gold lame suit he always wore. And Brian Billy. told him to take off the Christmas tree. And I'll never, oh I always God. think about that, like, take off the Christmas tree. <laughs> so funny. One, that's an amazing comment from Brian. And two, of course Billy had a gold lame suit. Of course he did. I know. Of course he fucking did. I love it. There's pictures of him in that suit, too. But every time I see it, I'm like, take off the Christmas tree, Billy. <laughs> oh, so funny. And- anyway. Incredible. Uh, so good. Now, this is the point in our story where everything changes. In the hiatus between leg one and leg two of this tour, which only took place over the course of a calendar month, the Beatles hit a major milestone. Please Please Me, which was released a month before on January 11th, hit number one on the charts. Things began to change. That just shot them into the stratosphere. When they came back in late February for the second leg of the tour, they were getting as much applause as Helen Shapiro, who was the headliner, and this shift made things a little tense for the Beatles. Um, It was magnified by the Beatles' appearance on the TV show Thank Your Lucky Stars on February 17th. And in recognition of this sudden and very obvious shift during the break, the Beatles moved up to second on the tour bill right before Helen in prominence. And you can see it if you can find some of the print bills from this and you can see that the Beatles now are right below Helen Shapiro and they must have been able to contact the printers and made this change because all of a sudden the Beatles were just exploding. Yeah, this is a very that thing you do story. That's what it reminds yeah. me of, you know, where they're on the state fair tours and they keep moving up and up and up and up till they just ship off to LA. <laughs> kind of exactly. like what the Beatles are going through. And I think that movie turned, what, 26 this week? Another oh, anniversary? God, That's yeah, true. That's so weird. I don't like it. Mm-hmm. But I love that movie. It's my favorite movie. Love the Wonders. So, love them. Yes. The Oneaters. <laughs> yeah. Cute. <laughs> George had said that it was a little bit awkward. He said, all the people coming to the show were just waiting for the Beatles. It was embarrassing because she, Helen, was a very nice person. They felt kind of bad that they were sort of usurping her tour. Unfortunately, this actually marks a pivotal moment in the Beatles' career, but also in Helen Shapiro's career and a sign of this huge shift in popular music that was kind of just under the surface, but was about to overtake everything. Helen Shapiro's career peaked at the end of 1962 when she was voted Best Female Singer of the Year and just about to embark on this tour. She never reached the level of popularity that she had right before she went on this tour with the Beatles. And oddly to me, her association with the Beatles didn't really help her. I would have thought that would have made people recognize her or she could have kind of dined on that for like three years. But it just didn't. I think suddenly in the wake of the Beatles, this whole new crop of singers and bands were kind of coming up. Of course, all the Merseyside bands, new female performers like Dusty Springfield, Lulu, Scylla Black. And even though Helen was younger than any of them, it was just a different vibe. It was a mod vibe. It was, you know, Mersey beat vibe. And Helen was very much standards and jazz. And I think at this point, people were starting to see that as our parents' music and not the music we choose. And so 
she kind of faded after this at the pop music scene. She did make a good career out of musical theater and jazz. Some of her more notable theater roles were really good ones, Nancy and Oliver and Sally Bowles and Cabaret. She also toured extensively with UK jazz trumpeter Humphrey Littleton and performed her own one-woman show for many, many years. So she did fine. But as far as pop music goes, as soon as the Beatles hit that mark, you can kind of see the line graph that kind of intersects at this point with the Beatles just shooting up and Helen going down as far as popularity in the pop music market went. Hmm. It just happened to be that it was that moment that marks the beginning of Beatlemania as we know it. But also, I think that what it really marked was a turn away from pop music business as usual. Helen Shapiro and singers of her ilk were chosen by older white men wearing lab coats in the record studios, manufacturing teen culture by choosing these hit songs that were usually composed by other white men in other buildings, making culture. And all of a sudden, here comes the Beatles. They're of the generation that they're playing for. They're writing songs that just touch something in the populace. And they're making trends instead of following trends dictated by these older white dudes. And so as lovely and unique as Helen Shapiro's voice was, she came up at the end of a dying era that kind of moved into jazz and musical theater, that kind of style, very quickly after she became popular. As for the Beatles, they continued to tour pretty much nonstop until 1966. And though they did tour with others, they shared top billing from then on. Yeah. Wow. That was quite a ride. I must say, especially, you know, thinking back to the Johnny Gentle episode, too. And again, like such a short time span for them to go through all of this. It's incredible. The thing that struck me the most was the thing that you said was that February 8th and 9th, like they were getting kicked out of a ballroom on this Helen Shapiro tour. And one year later, they were headlining in Sullivan. Yeah, everything changed. So wild. So wild. And as we get into now, you know, we're going to get start getting more into 66. Uh, next time, we're going to actually talk about the Beatles, the end of their touring career. So this is a nice little bookends we've got going yeah. here. And we're going to talk about when they were accosted in the Philippines and all the drama surrounding that. There's a lot to get into there. It's crazy. Oh, my God. It's insane. But it's so much fun to like, you know, think about the baby Beatles when they're just starting out and how, God, how hard they worked. You know, the road is grueling. Thank goodness they had the energy. You know, they're very young and very hungry and could do it. I don't know how they got all that energy. No, no, I do. And yeah, you do. It's called amphetamines. <laughs> it's called Prelly. That's, why, yeah. that's how they, were, they could fit into their Henleys and their leather trousers. <laughs> <laughs> We end our episode as we always do with our latest Beatles obsession. Allison, this world of crazy Beatles happenings, what are you obsessed with right now? Oh my goodness. Well, if you've been on TikTok uh, recently, you may have seen this crazy uh, song video that's going around called uh, Ringo Starr Posted Feet. Mm. <laughs> and we talked about this briefly, I think, on an uh, earlier episode. But if you follow Ringo on any platform, you know that he posted his feet and sandals uh with the get back dvd (laughs) and it kind of broke a lot of us (laughs) (laughs) on the internet it was rough yeah i know somebody on tiktok with the username hummus vacuum wrote a song about it and basically spring of star posted his feet he's giving away those piggies for free 
<laughs> like all these great lyrics. And I saw that our good friend Caitlin Larkin reacted to it, which I really enjoyed. And shout out to uh, Louis, who has been a past guest on our show. He sent it to me the first time and I lost my marbles. So check it out. We'll share it on our Instagram story so you guys can watch it too. But it's very funny. And it's always very uh, interesting to me when something Beatles related goes even somewhat viral on TikTok. Like this has, I think, like 16,000 likes, which is just astounding to me that... That that many people, I guess if they didn't know that Ringo Starr posted feet, they did when they saw the video. So, (laughs) Well, I'm sorry that that might be anybody's first introduction to Ringo in any way. (laughs) Because the feet (laughs) thing was hard to take. I was happy to see, like, he's still still posting a lot of these feet videos, but now he's wearing red socks with his face and love sandals. He's covering the actual toes. Um, yeah, I mean, he was very proud of his pedicure and he said so, but also, um, just no, no, and just don't do it, Ringo, like feet off the internet or and also get the pedicure before you start posting anything. Like, don't have it. No, no, first he posted the unpedicured feet. Oh, (laughs) you sound really upset about that. It was hard, (laughs) it was hard to look at. I, I obviously, I saw it once and looked away, so. And he broke the internet and he heard us. And he was like, hey, I got a pedicure. Like, he got the pedicure response in the comments. About his I love face. it. That's so funny. He loves the internet. <laughs> and then he's transitioned to socks. So great. Socks and sandals. Well, you know, it's getting a little chillier here in LA. So, that's true. Break out that's those, true. those socks at the Sandies. Uh, Ringo's journey with the feet is just too much. It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> It's cracking me up. It's bringing me back to uh, Paul driving rain era. Oh, his barefoot Heather yes. era, yeah. His Heather Heather told him he had great feet, so then he never wore shoes again. Oh, God. <laughs> I love these people so much. They're so crazy. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, anyway, on that note, Erica, um, what are you obsessed with? Um, I mean, obviously... I mean, that was a good transition because it's obviously going to be Paul. (laughs) (laughs) So last week, Paul, he made a pretty big flex on the internet. He posted a picture of himself doing a fucking headstand, like a yoga headstand. And it was accompanied by a quote from him says, the headstand is my show off moment when I'm in the gym. I was once told by a yoga teacher that keeps you young. And the picture is just perfect. It's perfect in every way. He's in his house on a yoga mat doing a perfect headstand with his beautiful rescue dog, Rose, sitting on the yoga mat right next to him and MSNBC playing in the background. (laughs) And there's a Chiron on MSNBC (laughs) about Trump. But somebody photoshopped out the T in this picture, so it just says rump. And it's really (laughs) subtle, but it's very, very obvious once you see it that somebody just rubbed it out like in a photo photo editing app. I just love everything about it. And this was a repost. I think he posted this like last year at some point. But there's just so much to this picture. I love it so much. I'm actually going to go to yoga tomorrow because I've been looking at this picture all week. And like I've been to yoga for like two years. And Paul's doing a headstand and he's 80. So I need to go to yoga. Yeah. I mean, he's doing a, he's doing a headstand without like, you know how some people do it against the wall or something with support. He's doing it like cold turkey. He's just like 
reversely vertical. I can't even do it against the wall. <laughs> I mean, I am the worst at yoga. Again, I'm so uncoordinated. I just like can't even hold my balance for anything. So the fact that he can get in a full ass headstand with n- nothing touching him, that's insane. Yeah. And he's holding it really straight. And yeah. just shout out to Rose the dog. Yes, and we love her. Anytime I've ever tried to do any sort of exercise or yoga, this is what happens. The dog is like, oh, you're on my level. Oh my God, you're down here. Let's 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 play. <laughs> and the dog definitely immediately gets involved. So yes. amazing. I love it. Paul is wearing his shoes in this. He's wearing sneakers and socks. I believe so, he's wearing New Balance, correct? Or am I making that up? No, he's wearing Nike. No, wait, what's he wearing? <laughs> he's wearing Nike socks. I can't tell what his shoe okay. brand is. But um, Ringo, shoes look nice. Shoes are cool. <laughs> shoes are good. And you can still exercise in shoes. So It's actually you know. recommended that you exercise in shoes and yes. not sandies. Definitely not. Not sandies, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah. I got to say, though, and the high, the absolute highlight of that pick, though, is the rump. And I want to know everything about how it happened and who photoshopped out the tea. I'm sure that was <laughs> on Paul's insistence that he oh, saw sure. it. He's like... It, shit. He's like he's like shit. I just wanted to show off my kick-ass headstand, and there's a fucking Trump headline behind me. Paul's just like us. Like I have MSNBC on in the background all day when I'm working. Sometimes, and like you're just like the rest of us. I love it. Oh my gosh, I love it. Yeah, that's amazing. And again, oh. I reiterate: if we ever get the chance to interview Paul, my questions are going to be about his dog. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously. Most of the <laughs> questions will be dog related, um, and then some will be past dog related. And some will be future dog related. Yes, absolutely. Be it. So, yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll veer into the subject of cats once in a while. I can go to cats. Yeah, he had some cats. Yes, we can talk about the he kitties. Lots of cats. Yeah. Lots of cats. Yes. And so. one more thing to notice on this picture. He has a full exercise room in the back. You can see he I has like that. a full free weights <laughs> thing in another room that's right off of where he's doing his yoga. So nice. I love that for him. I love that he's got his little ex. I wonder if he's a Peloton. He totally looks like somebody who would have gotten on the 2020 Peloton bandwagon. I bet. I bet that's kind of how he survived the pandemic. Because he's just like, I'm going to do my Peloton classes. I'm going to go like cycle in Egypt or something. Yeah, could you imagine? But if you're home, like you can see who's in the live class with you. Like if you ever run across like Mac in 1942 or something, like maybe it's him. (laughs) (laughs) Paul Ramon. Yeah. Totally. It's definitely Paul Ramon. (laughs) He's like, I'll just go back to my old one. (laughs) Of course, when he's exercising, he wants to use his like sexy name. (laughs) Yes, exactly. He reverts back to the Johnny Gentle tour. He's like, I'm Paul Ramon. Oh my God. I oh love my God. that. This is Hannah <laughs> now, for sure. And we go full circle with the gentle yes. door. I yes. love this so much. And on so that note, thank you for listening to Because of the Beatles. As always, follow our show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now, and give us a rating and review so other Beatle maniacs can find us. And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll be posting photos and more from this episode and beyond. Remember, you can always email us at bcthebeatles at gmail.com too. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.